0: The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. What is up everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion Gribben and this is episode 14, T is for Tensions. Thank you for tuning in this week. As always, if you do have a question for the show, you can shoot me an email at marketpulsepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Happy for you to ask anything about what we're talking about on the show or maybe something we're not talking about on the show. Feel free to hit me up there. But let's jump into it for this week. And the ASX200 was up this week. It was up quite a lot, really. It was up 4.7%. What was, for the most part, a a very big winning streak for the market. And of course it was overall speaking, as I as I mentioned with the 4.7% up. It turned a little it did turn a little sour on Friday. The same market that spent the whole week surging fell about 1.6%, it was quite sharp right before the close on Friday. A lot of the big drops on that last day were in the banks, but it's kind of important to stress that those same banks had quite a good week overall. So from a broad perspective, Remember, at one point in March, we were down about 34% year-to-date. So the market was down 34% year-to-date in March and that was the lowest we were. And now we're down about 11 to 12% year-to-date. So that's a bit of perspective of where we are right now. And we're about 20-ish percent below the all-time record highs of the market. So yeah. In the US side of things, they did also have a pretty good week on the markets the S&P 500 was up 3% for the week the NASDAQ up 1.7% so not as much there although the NASDAQ has had a very good few weeks Well, it feels like it's been a week of mounting tensions in many corners of the globe right now, I can't help but shake that little bit of feeling of unease especially as the week ended yesterday you have tensions between China and India You have China and Hong Kong, of course. You have internal tensions in the US between protesters and police, especially in Minneapolis after a a very tragic death there. Australia and China are continuing to spat over trade. Trump and Twitter aren't very good friends right now, in case you haven't heard. And yeah, it kind of almost feels like we're at a a bit of a boiling point um, across the globe. And this week coming, so I think it's somewhere, I think it's on Thursday, but there's going to be a lot of focus on... GDP in Australia and we'll see the Australian figures come out for the Jan-March quarter and remember we defined a recession a few episodes ago now but we talked about a recession a little while back but that is two quarters of negative GDP so if this one that comes out this week is negative and then the next one is negative then that would mean that we were or are technically in a recession Or well, that'll go, to go into the books as a recession but for the week that finished the week that has ended on a 4.7% high for the ASX200 at least. The market was very much focused on you know, continuing to reopen the country, revamping the economy. So a lot of the big moves this week actually came out of some of the industries which have been hardest hit by this pandemic. And I'm talking very specifically about travel industry and hospitality retail industry and things like that. So having a look at company news, and this is actually something that isn't that new in fact it's quite old <laughs> it's 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 uh it was released on the 5th of may but it comes from katmandu holdings and they trade on the asx under kmd and i have noticed their share price creeping up creeping up over the last few weeks and i'm sure much of that is coming off the back of a lot of that continued optimism in the in the market among investors of the reopening of the economy but on the on the 5th of may they actually came out to tell the market that their actual online sales were about two and a half to three times higher than the year prior. And especially they saw that in the month of April where they, they saw a really big jump in that online sales growth. Now, Katmandu is, or Katmandu Holdings is like the umbrella company and they of course own Katmandu, the store. They also own Curl. in case you didn't know. I say that as if I knew, I didn't know that, let's be honest. Now, just like much of retail land, they have started to reopen with protective measures in place of course and all that kind of thing and it's important to note that although this news of their big boost in online sales is, is of course really good news for them, they did point out that overall the shutdown has had and will have a significant impact on their earnings so it's not like it's enough to uh, to outweigh the other side of things and I was reading this and thinking that do being a brand that is all about trail and hiking and, and biking and All things outdoor, of course. I imagine that they may have benefited from the fact that consumers were doing a lot of those things during the shutdown. And for many of us, this was the only way to actually stay active, especially when you know gyms and stuff are closed. It it actually reminded me the other week I was in a Lululemon store, and it was the first time I've actually been into a store since the shutdown, because you know, of course, retail stores have really only just started to open up. But an employee made, like, an employee there in the store made a comment about how crazy. Uh, it's been in terms of sales and they've been out of stock on a lot of items and, and things like this. And I, and I said to her, I said, well, I guess I guess there is a lot of people walking and running and stuff right now. So it, pro- it probably makes sense that, that it's like this. And she said, well, yeah, but that's only actually one part of the story. The other thing that they're seeing is people purchasing what is now dubbed as work from homeware. And I'm sure you might agree, but if you're sitting at home right now and you're listening, the kind of stuff that sports stores sell like a like a Lululemon, they're definitely much more comfortable to wear around the house in, especially if you're hanging around the house all day. So after that conversation, I actually jumped on and checked the share price of Lululemon. They don't trade here in Australia. They're actually listed on the NASDAQ in the US. And yes, they have very much been one of those NASDAQ companies that has been on a tear ever since those March bottoms that the market hit. And they're actually trading at all time high now. So it was just pretty crazy considering they're a retail company. Uh, Investors are really banking on the fact that there's been big rises in sales of active wear and I guess work from home wear. Outside of company specific stuff, there was a few data points from the Australian Bureau of Statistics that stood out to me this week. And The first was regarding vehicle registrations and specifically they had a media release about electric vehicle registrations which have actually doubled in Australia over the past year. Now in saying that, electric vehicles still only make up according to the ABS, 0.1% of all vehicles in Australia, but the amount of them on the road as of, as of January 2020 is double what it was 12 months ago. And so we, ha- we have, according to them, 19.8 million registered vehicles in Australia, 25.6 of which are diesel cars, 72.7% of which are petrol. And you, your top five brands in terms of the vehicles that are on the road or registered vehicles, are Toyota in number one, And then you've got Holden, Mazda, Ford, and Hyundai. However, Holden and Ford have slipped back over the last few years. So they're they're sort of losing or potentially starting to lose that top five spot or at least even top three spot. The brands with the biggest percentage growth over the last past year in Australia are, are Kia. They're quite a significant growth. Skoda, I think that's how you pronounce it. I have seen those cars around. Isuzu? Isuzu? Yes, that's it. That's it. I do see heaps more of them on the road. And Porsche. Porsche is <laughs> for all you listeners of mine with that sweet, sweet Porsche money. The other release from the ABS this week was some actual data around a survey that they did uh, on people that access their super for, for money. So, you know, we've talked about the early access to super scheme that was part of the overall COVID 19 stimulus response. And if you're unfamiliar on the details, if you're eligible, and just to hit pause, eligibility is that you had to have been made redundant or had your working hours reduced by you know, at least 20% or maybe just made completely unemployed or you, if you own a business, you've seen this a big 20% reduction in, in turnover. Essentially, the, the stimulus measure meant that you could access your superannuation and this was uh, $10,000 in this financial year and then a further $10,000 after we go into the next financial year. And look I, I did share my views on this at the time i don't I don't particularly like this idea just broadly speaking I, I did caveat that, that that and say that I, I, you know, I can't speak for someone in you know severe financial difficulty who needs this to keep the lights on That's a very different scenario I'm not, I'm not really commentating on that or saying it's a bad idea there. but overall, the idea of withdrawing from super I think is is, is a really bad idea but if you if I go back to the ABS survey, they asked people who'd taken out at least up to ten thousand dollars in the first round of withdrawals, what they actually plan to do with that money. And the majority, as you can expect, so 57% said, you know, bills and, and mortgage repayments, rental payments, all that kind of stuff. But there was quite a high percentage figure. There was 36% that said they would save it. Which seems like a quite a high amount of funds that are getting take out of taking out of a savings account technically already and putting it into another savings account. Although I wonder if there has been sort of like an uncertainty effect in the fact that perhaps people thought that they might lose their jobs or lose hours or maybe they did lose their job but it's turned around now and and that maybe they've got on a job seeker now so so it's okay and maybe they withdrew from their super, like they pulled the trigger a bit too early. I mean, who knows but I I found that interesting. I think just as a piece of general advice, if if this was me and and say if you've withdrawn the $10,000 but... But as a, as like a, a best case scenario, perhaps you think you'll be okay, or your jobs come back, or you know you've you've had to use it, but you 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 get into a spot where you've got some job security. And I would, in if I was in those scenarios, I'd really consider uh, salary sacrificing, which is so sort of putting a bit of your pay before tax into your super, and it doesn't have to be much. But if you have taken money out uh, of your super and and you end up spending it, you could kind of look at it as a way as to put that money back over time, I think. Now the the magic number to remember with this kind of stuff is $25,000. So if you jump on the Money Smart website, the government's Money Smart website, and you look at the information under super contributions, you should go have a look, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You'll read that the most you can put into your super, this is pre-tax I'm talking, pre-tax contributions to super is $25,000. So remember that figure. Now, this twenty-five thousand dollars does include employer contributions. Okay, so in Australia, the, there's there's the rule. There's a nine point five percent, which is the super guarantee, that your employer pays into your super account every time you're paid. Right, and so let's say that they're putting in five thousand dollars through through your uh, because based on your pay. That, that's the nine point five percent. So they're putting in five thousand dollars already. So annually your limit is now down to twenty K. So you just gotta keep that in mind. Now I'm I'm definitely not advocating or nor do I necessarily think that lower income earners will be actually in a position to put, you know, tens of thousands of dollars sacrificed into their pay. But what I am kind of saying is you should start with something manageable. So maybe it's something like an extra two to three thousand dollars a year, or maybe maybe more if you can, maybe up closer to five thousand dollars and and you won't notice the difference. After a while and I say that as someone who has done it myself, obviously the first paycheck comes in after you've done it and you de- you might be down 70 bucks or something uh, after tax and you're like, oh that's kind of annoying but especially if you're someone that did take money out of your super and when you're back on your feet and, and hopefully in a better position and working something like this might be actually a really good way to get you back to where you should be in, in- at least in a couple years. because remember the the power of super, as I bang on all the time, is in that sort of long-term compounding results scenario. Well, this week, the other thing I really wanted to talk about was a bit more on the move out of lockdown and what that's looking like so far and what that's gonna look like into the future. It's definitely a difficult question slash, it's also a different question depending on where you are in the world. I've seen numerous people very quick to obviously point out that this is a health crisis And part of that recovery will be in how we manage the health aspects of things and not just the economic. But I say this with uh, there's more mobility data this week. And I've talked about that mobility data that Google and Apple source because they can get an idea of how people are moving about or whether they're staying at home. And there's a graph in The Economist that shows that the change in people mobility in America is recovering quicker than it is in Europe. So where American mobility overall is now only 20% from that the baseline that they used in sort of January February before the before the outbreak but Europe is is about 30% off that same base level and you've probably heard terms potentially in the news and in, in the media like that that whether it's going to be a v-shaped recovery economically whether it's going to be an l-shaped recovery maybe a w-shaped recovery that's another one that I've that I've seen and if you're wondering what this all means it's kind of the economics way of viewing the rebound after all this is over so for example a V-shaped recovery is one where you would have a very sharp and very sudden downturn which we definitely have had but that is followed by an equally very sharp uptick back to normality or at least close to normality the L-shaped recovery is one that's a bit more pessimistic that's where you have that sharp down but then the comeback is is quite slow and drawn out and, and does take its time to get there now the the w recovery which has been thrown out thrown around which which is a possibility of course is where you have that sharp recovery and you then you actually enter a period where you plunge back down again and that's kind of like the scenario that gets thrown around if there's like some big second outbreak and we all have to shut up shop again i guess what i'm interested in is not just how quickly or slowly the the recovery is but what it looks like on the the other side and that's an exceptionally hard question to answer and I don't have the answer for that but it has been occupying my mind lately and you know, we saw this week that News Corp which is on the Australian Stock Exchange NWS is their code they announced that they're going to permanently stop 112 community and regional newspapers 76 of which will transition to digital only but the rest of that will actually close down completely and not make that switch to digital and that's going to put you know, hundreds and hundreds of people out of jobs but and these are plans that News Corp are putting in now, with the you know the actual new reality of the situation that that we find ourselves in. And now, granted that this might have been a strategic plan for News Corp anyway, so COVID COVID nineteen might have just been uh, the catalyst that shoved a rocket underneath that plan. But the point remains that that there, there is that permanent restructuring happening happening around us right now. And this week, I read an opinion piece in USA Today. It was written by former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang in the US, who was making the case that, you know, not all jobs will return at all. He says, quote, We miss our old routines, embracing our family and friends, seeing other people's faces and the feeling of being safe and secure. While it's okay to miss these things and look forward to their return, the truth is that we are not going back. We are being changed by this time and the challenge now is to get through it and build a future that works for us and our families. He goes a little bit further to point out how this problem is actually exacerbated by data that's been reported on over the last few years, such as you know most Americans live paycheck to paycheck and about 40% couldn't afford an unexpected $400 bill that that hit them suddenly. And in the the backdrop of this, there was actually a research report that got released from the University of Chicago this week. And it was talked about on, a, on another podcast called Marketplace, which is an American podcast. And the authors of the actual paper concluded that under their estimates that 40% of the employment reduction in the United States will be permanent so that they will not actually come back. Now, of course, I'll be quick again to say that so far we, in Australia, we have definitely not had that same outcome, at least from a health perspective here, than what the US are, of course, going through at the moment. And, and uh, as you would have seen during the week, they did tick over the 100,000 deaths from COVID-19. But I would hesitate to say that we're actually immune to the idea of permanent changes in the employment market. And and of course, some of this might be positive. You know, for example, there might be someone who enjoys the idea of working from home and they're kind of happy to do that moving forward. And maybe they've they're in a job or their job has changed to to be something that is a bit more work from home or a bit more flexible from that. But there's also going to be those hard changes as well. And they're changes that you know force people to reconsider careers and professions, and go out there and try and develop new skills, and and try and reinvent themselves. And and like I sort of referenced with the News Corp scenario, that's that's the kind of thing that's going on. That's just one micro example of, of that kind of thing happening. You know, at the end of the day, the truth is, in terms of when a full recovery happens, or exactly how it happens, or exactly what shape of the alphabet it somewhat resembles. <laughs> I don't think think anybody really knows Well, that kind of uh, feels like a little bit of a dismal note To end this episode of the podcast on I'm not usually a doom and gloom guy At least I don't like to think I'm a doom and gloom guy But it has been something that's on my mind lately And curious if you're listening I mentioned at the top of the show you can ask questions But curious to hear your thoughts as well If you do enjoy this show, please jump on Give it a star rating Even better, give it a review Tell me how good it is Appreciate some feedback if you have any, by all means. But thank you very much for listening to the show. Another way you can support the podcast is tell your friends about it. I'm a big believer in word of mouth, and I think that goes a long way, especially in the podcasting world. We've all had those annoying friends that come up to you and say you should listen to this podcast. So maybe try and <laughs> do that to someone that uh, that you think will enjoy the podcast this week. That's it for this week. My name is Dion. Thank you very much for listening. Of course.